I was. He's got the suit. He's got, he's got the suit. He's, he's dressed better than me this morning. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for this time. Uh, may we truly try to stop and understand and realize everything that is going on this morning. Lord, let it not just be another day. Please open our eyes and ears that we may see wondrous things from your law and your name. Amen. Maybe have a seat. We're going to be starting out in Matthew uh, chapter 27. I read an observation about sunrise service. Sunrise service is a very unique service. Some of you may have grown up at the church. That sunrise service was very important. I came out of a church where sunrise service was very important. I have very fond memories of that. We'd get up, we'd go to sunrise service. In my mind, it seemed much earlier than 7.30. And then we would go, and I remember we'd grab a donut, we'd go back home, and then come back for church a little bit later here. So I've always remembered that sunrise service. Maybe some of you grew up at a church where you did not do sunrise service, and this is something that's kind of unique to you when it comes to that. I did read something about sunrise service I thought was a little funny. It says the sunrise service would be more authentic if it was attended only by women who would later return to tell the men about it. Okay, maybe that wasn't as funny as I thought. I thought that was pretty funny. Maybe you'll get the joke later on here once you wake up. Okay, with sunrise service, I treat it a little bit more like a devotional than I do like a teaching here. And I just try to look at a different aspect of it because I go through the gospel accounts, I read them all, and I stop and say, okay, what, what stands out? And this is what stood out for me this year. It's in Matthew chapter 27. Now, I want you to think about the tomb. Because sometimes in the Bible, inanimate objects kind of become characters in the Bible. Okay, think about Moses' staff. When you think of Moses' staff in the book of Exodus, you think of the power of God. God is going to move. If Moses has his staff, he's going to strike rocks and water come out. He's going to part the Red Sea. He's going to do these miracles. Moses' staff almost becomes a character in the Bible. Think about Saul's spear in 1 Samuel. When Saul has his spear, it means he's going to act in the flesh. He's going to do something that's ungodly when he has that spear. So they become, once again, characters in the Bible. For a sunrise service, I want you to think about the tomb. It's interesting. In the New Testament here, the word tomb is used 37 times. This is according to my New King James. 37 times, 33 out of those 37 times, it's in references to Jesus' tomb. That's how important the tomb is. It's its own character in the Bible. And I want you to see here how important this is. So start with me in Matthew 27. Look at verse 62. It says, On the next day, which followed the day of preparation... The chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal steal him away and say to the people he has risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. So the character is the tomb. But look at the description of it. Now, anytime you see in the Bible, the way Hebrew is and the way Greek is, they like to use repetition to make their points. Look at the repetition. Start specifically in verse 65 with me. Pilate said to them, you have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure. Note secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, repeated, sealing the stone and setting the guard. So we have a sealed, secured, closed, guarded tomb. That's that's trying to be emphasized to us. A secure, sealed, closed, guarded tomb. You're not going to do anything with this thing. 
You have Roman guards in front of it. You have a seal over it, which means that it's been protected by the government, and it's just secure in the sense of the stone. And here's the catch to this all. Death could not stop it. That's the whole point of why we're here this morning. Death could not stop this sealed, secured, closed, guarded tomb. Go with me real quick to Acts chapter 2. Just jump ahead a couple books. Acts chapter 22. I want to build on this point on death could not stop him. Start in verse 22 with me. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. That's the key. It's not possible that he should be held by it. Not held by death. Now, this is where we're going to start to hopefully see some deeper pictures here. The fear of death is now gone. That's, that's the fear that we all face. And if you run into somebody that says, oh, I'm not afraid of dying, they're, they're probably just lying. Because the reality is we all take steps to not die. This is what we do. We try to keep our lives safe. We try to keep ourselves healthy as best as possible. The fear of death is gone because it's inevitable it's going to come. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us this. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. How did Satan have the power of death? Because Satan is the great accuser. So therefore, Satan can stand before God the Father and he can say, look at James. James is a sinner. Therefore, since James is a sinner, he deserves the punishment of hell. And that means I have a fear of death because when I die, I would go to hell. That's how I got saved. I remember Jim Crager shared the gospel with me. And as he shared the gospel with me, he taught on the reality of hell. And I stopped at that moment and said, I don't want to go to hell. What do I need to do to not go to hell? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Once I got saved, I started understanding the depth of the grace and mercy of, of Jesus. But it was the fear of death and hell that got my attention. The book of Jude says this. Some are saved by fear. That's a very true thing when sharing the gospels to go up to somebody and say, what do you think happens when you die? You're going to die. It's inevitable. Everybody dies. You just don't know when. You just don't know how. This fear of death drives society. And so what happens is Christ has defeated the fear of death. Romans chapter 6 says this, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. So this is where we understand. We accept the fact that Christ has defeated death, but now it applies to us as well. Can you go with me to 1 Corinthians 15? 1 Corinthians 15. Let's build on this now. I don't think anybody here would argue the fact that Christ has defeated death. But we have to apply it to us. We are going to face death, and if not us at this time, our loved ones are going to. 1 Corinthians 15, great chapter on the resurrection. Start in verse 20 with me. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. New Living Translation reads it as this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Let's continue on, 21. 
For since by man came death, by man, note New King James, capital M, referencing Jesus, by man, Christ, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one his own order. Christ the firstfruits, after those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Death is an enemy. We have to understand the biblical understanding of what death is. Death is an enemy that's fighting us. Death, according to Romans, is wages, what we have earned. So since I have sinned, I have earned my paycheck, and my paycheck is death. None of you would ever go to work and say, you know what, I love this place, I'm just going to work for free. You're expecting your paycheck at the end of the week. And you get your wages because of what you have earned. The Bible says you have earned death because of your wages of the sins you have committed. Well, that wage is now also an enemy. Instead of helping me and putting money crediting into my account, that wage has actually made a debit that I can't pay, and now I have an enemy that's working against me, and that enemy is death, and that's why it's so important to understand the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Because we're all going to face it sometime. We're going to face it personally. We're going to face it with our loved ones. We're going to face it with our friends and family and neighbors. We're just going to face it in the world. We're going to see an article, and it's just going to hit us that these people are gone and they're dead. And it's an enemy. How are we supposed to have victory in this? Stay in 1 Corinthians 15. Jump ahead, if you would, please, to 54. I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. I like the way this presents itself. When this happens, when our perishable earthly bodies have been transformed into heavenly bodies that will never die, then at last the scriptures will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. How we thank God who gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is what we're here to celebrate. Death is the great equalizer. Ecclesiastes 9 tells us this. It says, there is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. What's the one thing that happens to all of us? We die. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. One thing happens to everybody. Rich, poor, we all go to death. But for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. That's the depressingness of Ecclesiastes, is we all die. Everybody's going to die. So what do we do with this information? I like this quote. The greatest issue in the modern world is the issue of death. Given the insistence today that the world and this life are all there is, Death makes a mockery of the whole thing. All of our achievements, all of our accomplishments, all of our struggles, all of our pain are meaningless. Because as the preacher in Ecclesiastes says, we all die. The saint, the sinner, the winner, the loser, we all die. Death takes away the possibility of an individual human significance. We have not been created for death, but for life. This is where you have to remember what we just read, he says. Death has lost its sting, though. And the grave had been robbed of its victory, 1 Corinthians 15. God the Father has defeated death forever and the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what we're here this morning to celebrate. 
is the idea that death has been defeated. The secure, guarded, sealed tomb could not hold him. Death no longer has dominion over him. But since it no longer has dominion over him, since he's the first fruits of all that have died, according to 1 Corinthians 15, that means it affects us as well. And now I can have life because of what he did. This tomb being empty is that vitally important. Go with me to Matthew 28 for us to finish this up. Since he's the first fruits, the one that first defeated death, he's defeated death for us as well. And that's why we can have hope for us personally. We can have hope for our parents and our children and our loved ones because this is not the end. Now, what do we do with this information? Matthew 28, verse 5. The women have showed up at the tomb. Stone has been rolled away. There's an angel there speaking to them. Verse 5. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus whom was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he has said, Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see, and behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then he said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. What do you do with this information? First off, accept the fact that there's a fear of death. Take a look at verse 5. They're afraid. Verse 8, they went out with fear. They're afraid. When you're around a funeral, it makes you think about things. Ecclesiastes, once again, tells us you can learn more at a funeral than you can at a party. There's a reason why when we do a funeral, there is this body, this right here in front of everybody to look at, to stare at, to remind you of the finality of death. So there's an element of fear. But as they were afraid, verse 5, verse 8, there's also joy. Did you catch that there in verse 8? So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. There's joy and fear together. Jesus in verse 9 says to them, rejoice. How can you have fear and joy together? How can I be afraid of death, but yet have joy in realizing that Jesus Christ has defeated it? Do you realize how often fear and joy go together? If you've ever started a new job, you have the joy of something new, but you have the fear of the first day. Anybody that's ever had a child knows the joy of a baby, but if it's your first child, there's an absolute fear. The fear and joy of a first date. Fear and joy of roller coasters. I hate roller coasters. There's not much joy, but just a lot of fear. (laughs) Ministry is fear and joy. The fear of, Lord, I do not want to mess this up. I do not want to mess this up at all, Lord. But the joy of I get to impact eternity. See, look at what the angel's telling them to do in verse 7. He tells them in verse 8, go, tell. And what are they going to do? Verse 8, they leave to go bring word. Verse 10, what do they do? They tell. That's ministry. I need to go tell people. I I, I need to go share the gospel. The joy and fear. The joy of doing something that is life-changing, eternal. And then the fear of, I can't not do this. The fear not of doing it. The fear of, I'm afraid of not doing it. Because, Lord, this is so vitally important. May I just encourage you, if you are afraid to go out and tell people that you believe that someone defeated death, 
may I encourage you to be more afraid of not telling people because you have news that is really good. And please note what happens. They're obedient to go tell. That's what they were told to do starting in verse 5. They were obedient. And as they go out in their obedience, verse 8, guess who they meet in verse 9? Jesus. Their obedience led them to a deeper understanding of who Jesus Christ was. Their obedience to go out and tell in verse 8 led them to meeting Christ and even getting more of an opportunity to fall at his feet and worship him. May I also just encourage you that if you're finding your spiritual life mundane, drudgery, drab, dry, have you done the obedient thing of going out and proclaiming who Jesus Christ is? Maybe your life is dry because instead of realizing that you have been born again to tell other people the great victory in Christ, you're instead of living your life in some other way. Most of the time when I run into believers that tell me how mundane their life is and dry and drudgery, are you out there publicly just realizing every breath is from the Lord and I have victory in Christ and every conversation is an opportunity for the Lord and Lord, how can I represent you? Be afraid of not doing it. Have the fear of not going out and serving the Lord in whatever capacity he has called you. This fear and joy go together. How about in Luke chapter 2? The shepherds were completely afraid when the angel appeared, but yet they had great joy of the message they heard. How about in Psalm chapter 2? Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Fear and joy go together a lot in the Bible, folks. And may I just encourage you once again to have the fear of not doing it and saying, Lord, I can't keep this in. And maybe as you progress in obedience, just like the ladies did, you will then run into a deeper understanding and knowledge of who Jesus is. And you'll find yourself falling at his feet and worshiping in verse nine because you were obedient even in fear to say, Lord, I'm gonna go out and do what you've called me to do. And can I close with this? Go bring the word of the resurrection of Jesus with godly fear and joy. Yes, there'll be times of fear of what if, but that the fear of God overrule the fear of man. We have great news. Jesus rose. Death has been defeated. Death no longer has dominion over him. And that means death no longer has dominion over us because we can have that free in Christ. That means all of our loved ones that know Christ can be set free from death. Let us go share that. And what we have here at Sunrise Service is the excitement of realizing death has been defeated. And that's what we're here to celebrate. Let's pray. Lord, let this just be a quick reminder for us of you and what this means and what this represents. Lord, may we walk in the joy of knowing who you are. And Lord, may we walk in the fear of God, serving you with godly fear and great rejoicing. May we go proclaim this today. May we go live this today. Lord, this, may this be life to us in all ways and all things. You are good and do good. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. Do we have a closer? We do have a closer. We're going to let them come up, do the closer, then let you guys, uh, Joshua, lead you out with a word of prayer. And as soon as prayer is done, you are welcome to head back to the fellowship hall where there is a breakfast waiting for you. I know many of you are very active on today, so we may not get a chance to see you at the first service, 9 o'clock. So if I don't, have a blessed resurrection day. Please remember, death no longer has dominion over him. It has been defeated. Oh, death, where is your sting? And go have a blessed day. Hopefully we'll see some of you at the 9 o'clock. We'll see you back there for breakfast as well. Thanks, guys.
Lord, the fact that you abide with us when we are so sinful and unfaithful is, it's a thing of beauty. Love is truly a work of art that you have created. Your word says you are love. And Lord, you gave yourself for us. You gave yourself to us. You gave love to us when we did not deserve it. Lord, this is wonderful news that we have. (laughs) We know you, and you have defeated death for all of eternity, for every single person. You offer that salvation to everyone, all of the 7.8 billion people on this earth. They can find life in you. They can truly escape the sting of death through your sacrifice. But Lord, if they don't hear, then what hope is there? Lord, use us and guide us. I pray that you would employ us as your ambassadors to spread this message of good news, this gospel, in all that we say and all that we do to all of whom we encounter. We love you, we worship you, and we praise you. We thank you that the grave is empty in your name. Amen. You guys have a great week. God bless, and happy Resurrection Sunday.